two pages of, of, of writing changed changed so much in my relationship with both of them. Um, again, showing my showing my honesty, showing my vulnerability, showing that it's okay to say use the word love. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited after a little bit of back and forth. I've got Ben Akers on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. So good to have you. Um, so I recently saw you at TEDx Tunbridge Wells uh, doing your, was it a 16 minute? Was it a 15 minute talk? It was 12 minutes. 12, it was 12 minutes. Usually they're, t- they're 19 or 20, but um, 12 minutes. My God, you got a standing ovation. Uh, I went with my boyfriend. Um, we were all on our feet. There were tears. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, unfortunate that, you know, the, the standing ovation was really about a really sad event. And I was blessed to see you uh, It's sort of where people were getting drinks and stuff and try, kind of get your card and get in touch. Um, so we're excited to just hear a little bit about your story. So tell us just a bit about you. What do you do? What are you passionate about at the moment? Um, so what do I do? Uh, so I, I grew up in advertising. So I was, uh, I was an advertising creative, um, like, it seems like everyone on that stage at TEDx, um, uh, we're in advertising. Um, and I got to a point um, that I needed to do more. It had to be more than just money and awards at that point. It, that, that's all that sort of like seemed to motivate everyone. Um, so I started working uh, in purpose. I started working using my evil powers for good is the way that uh, uh, one of my old bosses, uh, a bloke called Ben Peacock, a Republic of Everyone, he, he framed it and I, I held on to that. And um, so that's what I did. And it was, um, it was good because what happens was in creativity, you've got in, in advertising creative, you have a power. You have, a, you have this power um, to, change to sort of get someone to buy something. Um, and I started, I started going, well, what if I could change behavior for good? What if I could help people um, um, doing good things instead of sort of like, so, so a lot of work with sustainability and the environment. And when I came back to this country, I was, that was in Australia. And when I came back to this country, literally two weeks after I landed, um, my, my childhood best friend took his own life. And I, I didn't connect my day job with my grief, if you like, my real life. Um, and it took me sort of, it took me four years of, of, um, uh, of counseling and everything else of trying to work out how to deal with this, this brother by another mother um, who we, we, I mean, we grew up together. We were born four days apart. Um, why he was feeling this way, why he got to this point. And it was just purely, purely, actually purely by luck that I read an article that said that, um, that, that told me the, the horrible statistics of, of male suicide. And, um, and then sort of said inside this that sort of talking about men of my age, sort of, um, so I, I uh, like early, early 40s and so he was 38 at the time when he took his own life. And, um, and I got to the point where I was reading this article and it said, 
men of my age watch sport and documentaries. So it just suddenly clicked that I needed to make a, a film. And I'd made a couple of films in the past. They were sort of never, they were sort of part of my journey, if you like. I wouldn't call myself a filmmaker. I'm sort of a problem solver. Um, and um, I turned to my wife, who's a, who's a producer, and I sort of said, I need to make a film about Steve and I need to make a film to help stop the next Steve. And she said to me, I don't want you to do that. And um, she wrote, well, because she because she knew how much it was gonna it was gonna affect me. Why would you put yourself out there like that? Why would you drag all these things up? Why would you sort of like she? I mean, she's doing it to protect me. I mean, her job is. Seeing you go through the pain. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we so we talked it out for a long time, and I sort of said like I need to make it, and so we we worked out a way of dialing up my um, my protection, my therapy, whatever all all these things, and. and yeah, we sort of went on this 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 journey, and and we we did everything from sort of we did it every the way they tell you not to do stuff. So we we crowdfunded it. We we sort of we didn't walk out with a story to start with. We we I knew what I needed to make, but I didn't have all the story. And and what was really interesting was that when I asked people to give me their tenors, they weren't just um financially invested they were emotionally invested in the story all these amazing stories started coming towards me and what started as a sort of like a 20 minute piece ended up with us recording 50 hours of footage and trying to sort of trying to cram it into what currently sits as an hour and a half um and i'm i mean it's it's been amazing i mean like we've been we've been touring it for uh, a a year so i did the, did the did the sort of um the uh uh the premiere last march and um the idea was going along that whole thing of how do i get men who don't watch who 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 don't want to talk about this stuff how do i get to them because because i can sit there and i go okay they're watching documentaries about nature in in uh, at home mm-hmm. but what happens if i go what happens if i go to them so that's what i did i sort of went to um I started as a pub tour. So I just started going around all different pubs and going to them. And then I sort of went, well, okay, well, let's expand it from pubs. What about if I go to gyms? What about if I go to sort of building sites? What if I go to um, prisons? I sort of, I've done three screenings in prisons. And, um, and it was fascinating because no matter where you are, all these, all, all the men are sort of feeling the same type of thing. And because I've shown my vulnerability, the thing that sort of um, my, my wife Claire was worried about, because I've shown my vulnerability, it made it made it easier for them. It made it more comfortable for them to show theirs and open up. Yeah. And then from there, we sort of created this thing called Talk Club, which is a which is a um, a talking uh, male movement, if you like. Um, and and that's just gone gangbusters again. And it's sort of like it was almost like I didn't mean to do this. Um, I'm just a bloke who lost his mate and it's it's sort of turned into this thing that's got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and um but it's amazing it's just sort of like we were we were recording our own podcast uh, on uh, on 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 Sunday one of someone who's someone who's a member of talk club wanted to start one and we read out this email from uh, from um someone that has come to a, a club and you just sort of, you get flawed. You get properly flawed because you're going, right, lose it from losing Steve to saving, I'd probably say we've, we've, we've saved hundreds of men now. 
mm. and um, and that's that's so so I've I've stopped other best friends feeling the way that I feel and I felt. So there's there's so many directions I want to to go with this. One one is I guess around your own conditioning around masculinity and leading you to that point of going, God, this feels empty. I need some purpose in my life. And then I really want to learn from all the conversations that you've had about what, what men are saying, what are the themes that you've learned about. So let's just go back to, to you. Yeah. So in that lead up to being successful, it looked like you ticked all the masculine boxes of success, problem solving and all the rest of it. And it led you to sort of an emptiness or wanting to, to use your powers for, for good. Um, what was that lead up of you maybe noticing that something wasn't quite right for you anymore? Well, it's interesting, the masculinity thing, because yeah. basically, because my, I mean, my, my dad, my dad was schizophrenic and my dad left when I was 11. Okay. So, so my, my sort of, um, my, so I mean, well, he didn't leave. There was lots of things going on, but, but I haven't seen him since I was 11. Um, so I was brought up by, um, uh, my, my stepdad was present throughout my life, but, but he was, he was, and he is, I mean, it's taken me a lot of years to actually have that relationship with him where to tell him how important he is to me. Mm. Um, but he always felt that he was my stepdad and, um, and my mum is such an amazing, strong figure who is a therapist. So and teachers yeah. become therapists. So, so I was always very in touch with my feelings um, and always very aware of who I am um, and always trying to sort of be aware of my mental state as well. Um, and even with, even with uh, I, I mean, it just sounds like women are telling me not to do something, but um, my mum, even my mum told me she didn't want me to do advertising because she thought I was too sensitive. And it's quite hard advertising because you sort of like you're every single time you, you walk into a room, you go, this is the best I can come up with. And you're sort of like going, please judge me creatively. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of a rejection. Yeah. I mean, you, you get used to the rejection. You sort of get used to it, but, but you don't see it as rejection. You have to reframe your brain to sort of go, it's not rejection. So the way that masculinity, the way that I've worked with masculinity is that um, I'm quite happy. I'm a football loving Lager loving boy down the pub, but I'm also um, I'm also a feminist with a beard, and it's sort of, and it re it's really important for me as a as a as a as a father of two girls and one boy, to sort of like to actually be, to make sure that they they have everything that they need, all the skills they need, all the to go out into society, both masculine and feminine. So um, you you yeah, have clear, I guess, role modelling from your mum around how to talk, but you would also have had role modeling from your dad, even from that young age. And yeah. bearing in mind, he did leave and, and the, the impact of, of that. I mean, what did, where did that leave you? Cause 11 is quite a formative year, uh, you know, moving into that teenage. Yeah, it, was, it was sort of, well, it was, it was, it was earlier than that. It was sort of, it was sort of all the way through my late, my late, um, what do you call them? Late I'm school. Yeah. Yeah. But sort of like, um, what was interesting for me was that there was um, having that. Uh, I I I was never I was never a, I, I mean I got into football late. I was never a sort of like I never. I mean my boy my boy was is into football at four. He started he started on that, and I and I really believe in the power of team sports as a, as a man. I really wanted my daughters to play team sports because I think you get so much from team sports, not just 
not just being in that in that sort of on that field together, but all the camaraderie before and after. And um, and I'm disappointed the sort of like the way that it's panned out with Bella, but because she sort of was more um, my oldest was more she was a great footballer, and I wanted her to have that feeling that sort of always seems to just come to men. Yeah. And um, so so yes, yeah, so there was lots of there was lots of things like that. And with my with my mum. She she was very I mean she's she shaped me and I I quite happily give her every credit for that um, and and I think it was always the case of to me it was always about a case of stick if you want to do something you've got to stick with it and work hard to get it um, but it was but like but it was interesting even with even with um, Father's Day recently sort of like. Last Father's Day, I sent a I sent a letter to Steve's dad, and I sent a letter to to my stepdad, and I told them both um, how much I loved them, and how much the sort of like how important they are to me. And I talked to Steve's dad about how him being a um, uh, him being silly with me and Steve as kids was so important to me, and then that has helped me be silly with my kids, and. And then told him I loved him and told him how important he was. And I told my 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 stepdad that he is my dad. He's been my dad for he's been my dad for thirty years. He's the, he's the most important male person in my life. And he 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 doesn't have to wait for my mum to come to see us. He can come on. He can come anytime he likes as well. Mm-hmm. And it changed just two pages of, of of writing changed changed so much in my relationship with both of them. Um, again showing my showing my honesty showing my vulnerability showing that it's okay to say use the word love um, to a man um, was really interesting and sort of I mean and I've I mean obviously my stepdad came down um, uh, jumped on a jumped on a train and come down the Soros and um, and it was fascinating because he 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 felt real ownership of of the relationships with my 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 children Um, and then with with sort of uh, Les Steve's dad um, he just sort of when when I finally when when I caught up with him, I only uh, well I've seen him a few times since then. But we we had a really good chat about it a couple of weeks ago when I saw him, and and it was he just sort of he he just was was he doesn't cry but he was there he was almost there so it was it's lovely. But you go that took me ten minutes. Do you know what I mean for a piece of paper? And you go um, and I don't think blokes think that. I don't think we do that enough. I don't think we own the word love between men. Um, I tell my friends I love them, um, my male friends, because they're important to me. Um, yes, it's it's sort of like it's a different love to my wife, we hope, but but I do love them. They are important to me, and um, and now that now there's lots of lots of they they they're returning the phone calls with yeah love you mate see see, but it's not. Nice. Like you've got to start to disrupt the conditioning around yeah. banter and backslapping and football chat. And like one person just needs to disrupt it for guys to be like, oh fuck, I can be myself here. And yeah. it's like you, you guys have the same needs as women do, as far yeah. as I'm aware, right? Which yeah. is connection, love, um, belonging, all those sorts of things. But you just there's a different teaching method on how to get that. Yeah. Uh, not or like even fighting can be a, a feeling of of belonging, right? It's like yeah. well, at least I'm in the guy club if I'm drinking and boozing, whatever it might be, or bragging about things. Um, but times are changing. I don't know how many guys you um, sort of interviewed. I mean, you said there were 50 hours of footage um, across generations and, and just the differences there. 
Yeah, I mean, well, it's not not so much not so much the interviews of that because that was, the whole goal of the film was to stop the next, another thirty eight year old man taking his own life. That so it wasn't sense. about seeing. I mean, we did a hundred. We did a hundred. Um, I asked a hundred men to do me a video diary about who they were and what they were doing. Okay. Um, and that was that was cross generational and, and cross cultural. Um, but it wasn't even me picking that out. It was just me firing things out until I got a hundred men. Um, but but what's been more interesting is the reaction to Talk Club, is that 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 level of belonging inside Talk Clubs. So we've now got over a thousand men, a thousand and um, seventy men, sixty-five men or something, regularly talking about their numbers, about how they are out of ten, and owning that space, owning that sort of like I feel a three today, I feel a three because of this. Duh, 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 duh. And when you've got these, when you've got the physical groups, we've got I think we've got twenty-five set up at the moment. Uh, across the world we've got one in we've got one in australia we've got one one being set up in the states we've got sort of one one's being set up in europe and it's fascinating because what you can do is you can go it doesn't matter who you are where you come from um an 18 year old and a 65 year old can have bond over the same feeling that and um and that's what i've seen in front of me and you sit there and you go you go that that need for belonging and that need to be listened to because what but what we do like don't get me wrong banter's good football's good i love all that um but what we what we do is being listened to because what we cause quite a lot of the time blokes try and solve it for each other oh right yeah yeah and uh, and it's not it's it's a natural thing but we don't know we like when we talk about talk club, it's not just about talking; it's about listening. You sort of you can sit there for two hours, uh, and you might only be talking for fifteen minutes. And um, but so so it should be called listening club, right? Because it, it is actually it is actually about active listening, and that is the most powerful thing. And I think what we're doing un- unintentionally is we're teaching men to listen. So we're teaching men to have a better relationship with their partners. We're teaching them to have a better relationship with their kids and even better relationships at work because they're not, because they actually can take, because we've had that from a feedback, but where they've gone, just me letting, letting how I'm feeling about things out now, now allows me to sort of do these other things around, around my life, which, I, which we never, we never knew that was going to happen. No, no, exactly. And what are the, some of the themes that are coming up as far as how men are feeling or what they feel is stopping them, I guess, from talking? Well, uh, the, the usual stresses and strains, the, the idea of, it's not so much talking, it, it, I mean, conditioning is sort of... Yeah, I mean, that's my, the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, my, I mean, if you, look, if you actually just look at history, you sit there and you go, so, so baby boomers, my, uh, my parents, our parents' sort of world, were sort of like, um, were taught on how to be a father, if you like, by men who survived or came out of the war. So, so basically, so if, if they've seen combat or if they've not seen combat, just being bombed and not knowing where you're going to house is going to be there, yeah. that's trauma, right? Yeah. So, so then suddenly, so, so, so the baby boomers, in my opinion, their whole job was actually just create stability, just create stability, right? Because their parents didn't have stability. And... Yeah. So that's all the baby boomers did. That's the reason why they've got all the houses and they've got everything else. It's yeah. because, and no debt, is because they knew how to work hard and to um, be the provider. Be the providers, and, and 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 also to a certain level, we're role models, we're roles set, sort of. So so 
the man knew what his job was, the woman knew what her job was, right? Um, and whether that's right or wrong, then, then, but they, 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 they build the next generation, the Gen Xs, to sort of, to, to both male and female, to sort of, to, to go out, work hard, play hard, get what you need, right? Don't, we're not afraid of debt, we're not afraid of this, um, we haven't got any of the houses, but we've got all the email addresses, right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> But but what what we found out of that is that these this is the generation that is trying to struggle because what happens is that we were taught how to be fathers by by men who worked and would come home and play in the evening, right? Now you have to sort of like I mean someone said to me you have to win the bacon and cook it too, and it sort of does feel very much like that as a generational thing. Um, so so what comes out mostly in themes in talk clubs is parenting about how how am i being the best father i can be and then closely followed or or sometimes overtaken by money right i need to be earning more money so this balance between being a father and having money being a father having money you sort of go well and that's quite a lot of the time my balance is trying to find those things of going am i giving enough attention to to my 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 family life um I do, but I need to earn more money to keep my fat to keep keep the keep the roof on. So, um, and a lot of decisions I've made in my career when I when when you go for this thing at the beginning where where money's where money's the object, you have lots of money and it's great, but you never see your family, so it's not great. So there's this trade-off. Yeah. So then, so then, one of the reasons why I went to Bristol was sort of for me it was about uh, I wanted to walk my 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 eldest daughter now, my daughter to school. I just wanted to build the whole world around walking her to school. And, um, and then we've, so, so that was what I did. So I had to, to get that. I couldn't be working in a certain industry. I couldn't be working on a certain thing. So I set up my own thing to start that. And then, and then when you pick up other, when you, when you create things like, okay, I think I need to make something like Steve, you go, okay, this is going to be hard, both financially, emotionally, um, time-wise, but it'll it'll hopefully help someone else. But then then you fight that thing of going, well, okay, well, I've been away for um, forty, maybe even forty-five days um, for the, for the past past year. I mean, like, and some of those things are on two or three, so maybe it's even higher than that. Maybe it's even sort of sixty days. So it's quite heavy. Do you know what I mean? You're sort of going like, you're talking a fifth of a year, sort of being away, just touring something. Um, so, so Things different for you now. Yeah, the things are, I mean, but it's, but it's, it's I mean, we, I mean, we have our own struggles, me and, me and my wife, are, but, but we have to be a team. We have to fight really hard to be a team um, because you've got, you've got three little people to look after. Um but yes, so it's it's a very it's, it is that masculinity line is really interesting because it's sort of it's it's uh, um, we all need to be we all need to know what we need we we need our roles. My job is a father. My job is a husband. My job is a um, but but then I also need to be going. Okay, what do I need to do to to fulfil my own purpose? So um, so yeah, I mean I, I've taken a lot of time looking at going. Am I selfish for doing this? um and it's 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 been a hard line it's been a hard line um because i i didn't even want to be on i mean when i created the film i didn't even want to be on 
screen. I didn't sort of like, I went, I sort of went, how do I, how do I, only way that I can do this is put myself on the screen. I have to be in there because that's the only way that people are going to open up. But it's not something I would naturally do. I don't like a spotlight on me. And so this is where the theme of this podcast is people hit rock bottom moments or catalyst moments. And for you, it was Steve, you know, where it suddenly breaks things open and you, you go through immense pain. You talk about four years of the therapy, the grief cycle, the, you know, I, I mean, I can only imagine the low points that you would have faced during that time. And out of those ashes, as they say, it's figuring out how do I rebuild myself? And this purpose wasn't just, it's not just an abstract purpose. It's, it was born of your own pain and this flame of how do I prevent this pain reaching other people? And the, the, the kind of, you, you saw the, um, the knock-on effect, right? The ripple effect to so many lives um, from Steve not realizing that perhaps he could have spoken or done something to, to shift things, right? And so I guess that's what I'm curious about is that journey of pain that led you to not knowing the outcome, but knowing that for some reason you're the guy who's got to put this out there. Well, I mean, just talk us through that little journey. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I remember, so we'd been back in the country. Steve was in Canada and I was in Australia. So, so I, 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 never met his, I never met his kids until he was, until his funeral. Wow. I never met his wife until his funeral. Right. So, cause we were in, we'd been in Australia for six years and every time we come back, he hadn't, we hadn't crossed again. So there was lots of things where sort of, so we talk on, we talk on, we'd do what, so we'd, uh, we'd, we'd chat WhatsApp, we'd sort of Facebook, we'd sort of, we'd do a, um, uh, do a zoom or whatever, but it was very sort of, it was a very, um, distant relationship. And, um, so when I and I'd been back for a couple of weeks, and I and I got a I I got a phone call, got a missed call from his cousin, then I got a miss, then I got an email from his cousin saying email me, then I got a Facebook email me, and I was like, and I hadn't talked to his cousin in years, and I was like, what's going on here? So I knew something had happened, and it was a case of okay, so Steve used to like fast cars, and I thought my automatic reaction was he's 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 done a car crash, right? I sort of knew that something had happened and I knew for them, for that, that thing, I never in a million years thought he'd take his own life. I never in a million years thought he was suicide. How, and, how come? What was his personality like? As I mean, he was just, he was just, he was a really happy, lovely, normal, silly bloke. You know what I mean? He was just, I mean, like, um, if you ever get, if you ever get to see the, have you seen the film yet? Not yet. No. Yeah. So if you ever so stevedocumentary.com you can you can download it but I, I, or I'll send you a copy but um, but in in a, in the film I've got I get sort of my and this what this this and Andy's Man Club and Khan's Best Man Project um, all inspired talk club but it was this thing called that I call the round table where I get sort of like eight of my best friends together and we just talk really honestly about how we feel and Steve could easily be sitting there amongst all of those lot. There was, there were, we were, we are just normal everyday blokes who he's, they didn't have a drugs problem. Didn't have an alcohol problem. Didn't have a particularly stressful job. Didn't sort of like, didn't have any external things. Had a beautiful childhood. Sort of like literally there was nothing there. Right. Um, if you were going to look at it as a sort of as a as a tick box se uh, uh, session, sure. um, 
but he got what I found out was he just got so overwhelmed by so many things in, inside his life, um, and he wasn't equipped enough to to talk. And I mean, as I said on the on on in the TED talk, if if I believe that if Talk Club existed ten years ago, Steve would still be with us, and I wouldn't be chatting to you now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's one of those things where I think that there's so many men taking their own lives, and the numbers are so horrible. Because um, it's the I, biggest killer of men, right? Between the ages of 25 and 45? The biggest killer of men under... Uh, under, under currently, the statistics, it's, it's, I think it's the biggest killer of men under 50. Yeah. And I heard recently that someone said it was the biggest killer of men under 55. Now, if that's true, because I know the numbers are going up again, right? And yeah. if that's true... That is getting into sort of like low-level cancers, prostate cancers and sort of stuff like that. And um, I mean, I, the one I quote is that it's a bigger killer of men under 45. So statistically, the thing most likely to kill me is me, right? Mm-hmm. But even the, but, but I'm, I'm 44. So if that's true, for another 11 years, the, big, the thing most likely to kill me is me. And so what happened? So, so what, what happened there was I just sort of like, I remember falling to the ground and going, what's going on? And I just moved back to the country and going, going, uh, I don't know where I am, what I'm doing. I mean, we were, we were talking like four days before, cause I was in Manchester and he's a Man United fan. We were talking, he was talking about coming up to, to see a game. We were, I was booking tickets. He was sort of like, that's, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, but, but, but by the, by the state of his letter, by the by, by the by the information in his letter, he'd written that before we talked. He really? knew, that that letter was written, and he was thinking about it. And these are the things that I always that I I go. Could I have said something differently? Could I have done something? Um, so yeah, so there was lots of those things of just him, him being, me trying to work because it was seven stages of grief. With with suicide, there's an eighth, which is sort of like an eighth a question, why? And we'll never know why. Yeah. And what I found what I found was that, that I I I I sort of I kept those things very, very separate. I kept the sort of my feelings and my grief and me me carrying his coffin and sort of seeing his family that were my family and sort of talking doing eulogy at his at his funeral and his sort of and then meeting this woman who who is his wife and going like to who, who, like her looking at me going, who the fuck are you? And it was sort of, and then, and then sort of, so then this point of going through this, through this thing for the next few years and then suddenly deciding that I needed to do this and then having that conversation with his dad, that was sort of like the hardest thing because I sort of went like, I'm, I know they know me. They know that I would, they, they know that, that, um, to put to to put someone to put someone in a space where you go, um, I will, I'm going to drag all this up. I'm going to drag all this up. You've you've spent sort of best part of four years dumbing it down and get over it and trying to get over it. And I'm going to drag all this up again. Um, and and by the end, I think I hope um, that you'll feel better and we'll save some lives. What Please was the yeah um so and basically because because steve's family have uh have always been my surrogate family they sort of i mean they went look ben we trust you if you need to do this if you think it'll help people then we'll do it 
and they're quite private people. And so back to the thing of there's only one person, there's actually only one person in the world that could have made this film, and it was me. Because if Channel 4 walked in or someone else walked in, you would they would never be able to be tr as as open and as trusting as they as they could be with me. So um but it was it was it was like literally when I, I remember the first day filming with with Steve's mum and when I started talking to her, um it could have been um it could have been yesterday that he took his own life. It was literally she sort of someone said his name and she walked out of the room. She couldn't handle it. Sure. Um and then now we look at her and we sort of like, I mean, I was down, I was down in Margate um, uh, a couple of weeks ago and we, 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 we spent like four or five hours just laughing and joking about him and about how silly he was. And to me, everything that's happened over the past sort of two and a half years to get me to this point was worth it for that conversation. It was worth it to just see her like, He's never coming back. It's the it's sort of we talk about it being the new normal, right? But um, but just seeing her laughing and Les laughing, Steve's dad laughing about him, and sort of like talking about um, talking about silly things that we did and sort of and um, like silly stories and proper silly stories that I'm not going to repeat on here. <laughs> but but just sort of like but then just laughing and just all of us in in tears of laughter. And I never thought that I'd ever see Low laugh again. I never thought I would. And um, so, yeah, so it was a fascinating just experience and even just the experience of doing it through the, through the, the process of it. Like men were coming to me and going, um, like, like a bloke called Paul, who was a friend of mine and Steve's when we were younger, he, he, he was one of the blokes that did, did the, one of the hundred videos and he... He sort of, um, uh, he sort of, yeah, mate, I'll do you one, I'll do you one. He's a painter and decorator, sort of mm -hmm. top lad, um, sort of speaks very similar to your lad. Yeah. And, um, and um, on the outside, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And then sort of like, he's, he's a happy-go-lucky winning the world. And then, so he started doing his video diaries. And then in video three, he broke down in, in the video and sort of told me through a video that he's in a bad state and he's not told anyone else. And then tells me that sort of like, even actually on the premiere told me that this process has saved his life. So when he's, so when I met his wife, his wife hugged me and sort of thanked me and said that, that, um, that we still have, we still have this man because of, uh, his, his kids have still got a, a dad and his, his mum's still, his, I've still got a husband because of me and I go it's not because of me it's because of this this thing that's bigger than me which is this process of the film and we've got we've, we're collecting these stories left right and center so um and we're we're changing we're changing lives left right and center and it's not just and it's just something so simple as as I said it's something so simple in uh, how are you out of 10 or just actually having that conversation or being there um can open those things up and that's the that's that's sort of like that's what i'm finding fascinating and, yeah. and scary at the same time what's scary about it um how simple it is how sort of how um how raw it is how that you can actually just by paying attention and listening that the the um 
that that can be there. And, um, and don't get me wrong, it's a two-way streak. Someone needs to be able to trust you enough to tell you how they're feeling. And it's their journey. It's not your journey. You need to sort of like, you, you're just opening the can. They need to, they need to empty, it, empty the worms out. But, um, but just giving, just, just how, how, it, how we are just on this layer of society. We are just, we've just got this whole thing of um, almost we're waiting to, 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 to be asked. We're waiting yeah. to, you know, to, to, all it takes is one person to sort of go, how are you? Uh, 10 and then suddenly these things can explode and we can open these we can like we're we're um um it's like in a micro it's it's a microwave uh meal that hasn't been popped yet and as soon as you pop it it's sort of like it's 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 a very different experience so i mean i i don't know that's the scariest thing the scariest thing is sort of the um actually out there what's coming up and that you've you've created this platform you're responsible in a certain way to, to keep it going during the making of Steve, the documentary, did you ever feel like giving up? Were you ever like, I can't do this. It is too much. Or there were too many blocks. Um, every day and never. Um, yeah. It's sort of, I mean, talking about suicide every day is hard work. Yes. It's hard work. And, um, and I think that I wasn't, when I started it, I wasn't equipped in the way that I am now, but even, I don't quit. I never, I never give up on anything. So there was, I knew that there was, no, there was never going to be a real, realistically um, way of quitting. Um, but I did think that um, I did question whether it would work. I did question whether I'm putting everyone else through this. Yeah. And, um, There's a pressure there. Yeah. You've said, trust me, I've got this vision. I want yeah. to make this thing that will save one life or more life, yeah. something like that. And that's, that's what I, need to do. I just need to save one life. If I just save one life, I change one, one person, one man's journey, then I did my job. Um, but, but I think that the, I mean, the TEDx talk, the TEDx talk was actually really interesting for me because um, I, I had my techniques. I, I mean, as I say, I'm up to screening for like 50 in a couple of weeks. And um, I had my techniques on how to protect myself for showing the, showing the film. And a lot of this, a lot of, um, a lot of ways of um, grounding myself and actually trying to keep, keep myself present. Like, for example, I don't watch the first 20 minutes of the film. And I, I sort of, I talk about it beforehand about, how to look after yourself, but I'm actually talking about looking after me at the same time. And, and we have, we have a, a very good discussion afterwards. I mean, the, the film's a Trojan horse to sort of get men to open up. And, um, but I wasn't prepared properly for the TEDx one. I wasn't prepared. And I was putting up so many blocks in to try and remember, because the whole idea is it's 12, 12 yeah. talks to 12 minutes, right? So, they are over you. Like, like, like my coaches, the, 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 the tennis group were amazing. The coaches were amazing. Caroline, my coach was absolutely amazing. You've um, got to memorize it. Yeah. But you've got to memorize it. And so then suddenly what happens, Steve is a, is, is a five letter word. He's not a person. He's not a person with yeah. family and kids and who I grew up with. So what happened was on hitting these blocks and when I'm, and, and mainly it was like, like when you're doing a speech, it's, it's, the, it's bridges. Bridges are the hardest part because when I'm talking about real things, when I'm talking about real people, that's easy because that's just memory, right? Yeah. 
but but the bridges were the bit that I was blocking with. And then I was suddenly going like, why am I doing this? And then like, am I trying to, and then in my ego, because I've grown up with Ted and I've loved, I've loved yeah. Ted. My ego was like, am I doing this with my ego? Are people thinking that I'm trying to profit off my friend's death? Yeah. So all this stuff started flying around. And um, so my, my, my rehearsal on the Friday was terrible, absolutely terrible, was right? <laughs> to a level that people were going like, is he even going to do this, right? Is it going to be possible? And then that night, I dreamt that Steve was still alive. So I woke up the next morning, and I, my first thing was like, like oh, I've got to ring Caroline, because Steve's, Steve's alive. Um, and, and then suddenly I remember going into the bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror, and I, I believed for a good 20 to 30 seconds that he was still alive. And I walked into the bathroom. Oh, I'm getting a bit teary now just even thinking about it. Um, and I broke down and cried. And I was suddenly, it hit me, like someone just punched me in the face. It hit me. And I was like, Christ. And I, I, I was sort of like, just like fell onto the floor in my hotel room and was crying. And then tried to sort of, tried to sort of, I mean, this is about six o'clock in the morning, trying to sort of work out what I'm doing. So I went for a run, um, broke down, the, broke down and cried in the middle of the street uh, in, in, in Tunbridge, uh, Tunbridge Wells High Street. Um, like cleaners, walk, people walking past sort of like going to work, just looking at me going like, are you all right, mate? Um, then we tried to sort of go down to breakfast and sort of had a had a, a had breakfast with Ched or one of the other um, uh, speakers and sort of didn't know him well enough to burden him with this thing of I've just dreamt that Steve's still alive, but sort of like tried to hide it in this thing. I'm worried about things and stuff like that. So he, he was fantastic. We had a great, he really helped me sort of, we were both nervous about the thing, but then I, I, I've added this other layer, if you like, on top. So I did another rehearsal at half past nine and cried, basically broke down and cried in the middle of my rehearsal. Yeah, really? Yeah. And literally to a point where the, all the TEDx people were saying to me, um, you don't need to do this. Do you want to do this? You don't need to do this. We can cancel you. you. You don't need to do it. We can move things. And it was like, no, I need to do this. I need to do this for, for Steve's memory. I need to do this for me. So, um, so luckily I wasn't up there talking about tractor parts. So you guys gave me, gave me a sort of um, a, a, a slightly wider berth. But, um, but it, was, it, was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And what I, I want to highlight, because people don't know this, but I re see it all the time, and I experience it myself because I speak on big stages and, and tell a bit of my story. Um, and there's always, it seems, this amazing crash or, or um, immense emotion or this feeling of vulnerability, failure, like I'm not good enough, who am I, the questions, like all that stuff. It doesn't actually go away. And then, but, but there's something about the magic of when you do it anyway that that kind of, the, 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 the possibility of pain or the immense adversity that we can face, and then you stood on stage and showed up anyway. And I mean, it was magic. There wasn't a dry eye in the audience, and it's not about the standing ovation, but it's about the impact and the fact that that's going to go on YouTube or wherever and be, be seen by more men who will be coming to talk club and saving lives, right? And yeah. so people don't realize that that doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. Sometimes we think, oh, fuck, I'm not the person. Who am I? Why am I doing this, right? That, it doesn't mean that. It actually means your purpose is so immense that you feel the burden of that. But if you can just hold it, you can just hold um, pace, you know, and stay there, 
that's when, you, do, do you know what I mean? It, it just, no, no, 100%. I mean, this is the thing. I don't, I don't like public speaking. I sort of, no, no, like, like, I used to sort of, I mean, I've, I've suffered from many layers of anxiety throughout my, my career to try and work out how to change my presentations to sort of big people. I would change yeah. the rules each time to try and sort of get it so like, so that I, um, because it's not something I naturally am drawn to. Um, I don't know if anyone naturally is, but you sort of go, but, but I don't get any buzz out of it. I don't enjoy it. I sort of like, I, I, it was, and even with this sort of the reverse of what my, my wife said to me, you're doing this. And I sort of said, uh, I, I, I sort of, I, I don't know if, I don't know if I want to do it. She goes, I'm not telling you to do anything, but you're doing this. And, um, and then she felt guilty because she sort of like knew how hard it was for me. So she was going like, well, you don't have to do it. And I said, you said I had to do it. And it's, <laughs> but, but it is, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real hard thing because what you do is you have to go, I mean, I have this thing as a juice worth the squeeze. It's sort of like, is is all the is all that squeezing worth what comes out on the other end? And you it was, know, but you don't know until you've done it. That's the hard thing. And and but, but I mean, that's the thing. Quite a lot of what I do is is I back myself. I do back myself. I'm very good at backing myself. I'm going like, you will do this, um, and putting myself into uncomfortable situations where most people like, like you put yourself above the parapet, someone's going to shoot you up. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but, um, but the thing is that I, I really, I, I sort of, I believe that if, if you don't put yourself above the parapet, then no one's going to, no one's going to see this important story or this important thing that needs to be done. Um, and I, and I need to sort of do that for, for, for Steve's kids, for my kids, for, for everyone else's sort of, for, for, for all those people that, 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 that haven't got there yet. I think that's why I need to do it. You do. You've got that purpose is so profound and it's just keeping you moving forward. Um, before I ask my final question, where can people find you, find Talk Club? You've mentioned a few things. So the documentary, uh, say that one again. So you can watch the documentary at stevedocumentary.com. Okay. You can join Talk Club at wetalkclub.com. Uh, yeah. Um, or and you can get me from either of those or you can grab me. Uh, we grab, me, grab me on Twitter. It's probably easiest way. So at Ben Akers. Yeah, perfect. Um, and we'll add all of that into the, the show notes um, so that people can follow you, join the club. And just finally... If there is a man watching, a young man within this age range that we're talking about, and he might be feeling sort of like your mate Paul was, that he hasn't said anything, but there is that little struggle and he doesn't know if it's bad enough or if he should be talking or doing anything, what's your message to that guy? Join Talk Club. It's very, very simple. Just join Talk Club. Go to wetalkclub.com, join the Facebook group, find the main Facebook group, see how other men are feeling and it's not sort of it's not even i don't even want you to sort of like even if no it's not about you being rock bottom it's about every man joining this right so look at it as a gym right so this is this is a free gym membership for your brain we don't ask you to do any to do anything else you can come along and see other people working out if you like that's the reason why we call it mental fitness right so but then what you do is if you are feeling sludgy if something does start going wrong if you do feel like you need to, you need to open up, then this community of Talk Club is here for you, and that's a sort of like that's the to me that's a really important thing. Like, like 
one of my mates who runs a, runs the gym down here. I'm trying to get him to come to a physical talk club. He's been an amazing supporter of it. Um, and he helped me set up the one next to his gym in, in the pub, right? So we, we, we believe that all talk clubs should be in masculine environments, back to masculinity, where, where men feel comfortable. Yeah. And I said to him, you're going to come down to talk club? And he's like, he's like uh, no, mate, you're trying to say I'm mad. And I was like, yeah. boom, got ya, got ya. And it was, there was a few people around us, and we were all sort of like, and I went to him, do people just come to the gym when they're unfit? Or do they come to the gym to keep fit? So, so um, the whole idea of Talk Club is about keeping mentally fit. That means and, and when we had, we had uh, my last, so I went down, I haven't been to Talk Club, I've been touring a bit, so I've been down to my local one for, for, for a few weeks. I went, down, I went down last Wednesday. And what we do is we have a check-in number. So everyone says their check-in numbers, what they normally are. And when we first started it up, everyone was fours and fives. And you might leave, you might leave her a seven and an eight. Right, I walked in, and of a room of fourteen men, right, twelve of them were eights, and they all went up to nines, and they all felt this amazing uh, level of as you, I wouldn't go euphoria, but when you come out of the gym and you feel those endorphins, endorphin hit, yeah, yeah, they feel they they all sort of we all talked about that afterwards, but the whole and then one of them said to me, the reason why I come here every week is to keep myself mentally fit, to keep on top of things. Because he was part of thanking me for creating this thing and, and the other founders that we've got, the six founders. Um, but the whole point of it was, was that when he first walked through that door, he was a four. And, and then he moved to a five, then he moved to a six, then he moved to a seven, then he moved to an eight, and now he's been at an eight. And that's what's important is a sort of like, so, so it's not actually about if you're feeling down, it's about if you're feeling good as well, like love that. Yeah, jump on the jump on it. Like you don't like you don't. If you can be comparing the physical fitness, when you see someone going for a run, you don't go, "Oh, they must be unfit," right? You go, "Oh, good on them. They found some time to go for a run and look after their physical fitness." Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's all Talk Club is: is find some time to look after your mental fitness. Absolutely. Love that so much. Thank you so much. I agree. It's got to be everyone. Guys, please uh, join Talk Club, follow Ben, find him on Twitter and get men talking. If you don't join the club, just start talking to your mates, to the people around you and get the movement, build some traction and save another Steve. Thank you so much, Ben, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petravelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.